Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz with Redemption Press here. Are you a coach, pastor, blogger, small group leader, thought leader, ministry, or industry professional with a message that could benefit others? If so, we'd love to help you produce a professional book that can open new doors and be an impact to other people's lives. We'd love to hear about your idea and see how we can help with our personalized writing coaches and professional editorial team. Visit redemption-press.com. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host, Robert Whitaker. He almost won the Pulitzer Prize, a finalist. He's an American journalist and author. He's won numerous awards as a journalist covering medicine and science. And uh, he has an amazing book. Well, he has a series of books, but one of the books we're going to talk about is Psychiatry Under the Influence, Institutional Corruption, Social Injury, and Prescriptions for Reform. Welcome to the program. Uh, thanks for having me, Michael. It's a pleasure to be here. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america dot bearedynamic.com and by vocal booth to go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors audio professionals podcasters producers and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients it's your go-to place for sound treatment soundproofing portable and mobile vocal booths visit vocalboothtogo.com for more information and Oralex acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice. Total sound control products from Oralex enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. So who wants to blow the whistle first? You're, you're, I mean, you know, you've blown the whistle and let everybody know what's going on with, uh, with big uh, medicine and, uh, you know, the psychiatric world. And uh, we just think that... Uh, you know, these guys and these women, too, that they, they have it all together. They're all thinking in our best interest. But are they? You know, the American public really holds, you know, academic doctors in high esteem and high regard. And there's a lot of reason for that. But what has clearly happened, and it happened first within psychiatry, but it's happened in other fields of medicine as well, is that pharmaceutical money uh, has corrupted academic medicine, particularly academic psychiatry. This goes back to the... 1980s, late 1980s. And what you find quite clearly is that 
uh, pharmaceutical companies who were, you know, eager to sell their antidepressants or antipsychotics or benzodiazepines, whatever it might be, they began paying academic psychiatrists uh, really large amounts of money to be their speakers, consultants, advisors, and that sort of thing. And once they started sending money this way to academic psychiatrists, it, it basically corrupted everything. Corrupted, uh, you know, articles in the medical journals would be spun. The abstracts would be spun. Adverse events would be covered up. And uh, it, it just influenced everything. The, the clinical care guidelines got in, influenced by this. The textbooks got influenced by this. Uh, what, what the continuing medical education got influenced by this. So, and that's one of the corrupting influences. Basically, pharmaceutical money uh, flowing to academic psychiatrists with the intent from the pharmaceutical companies to help them sell drugs and build markets. But also, frankly, there's guild interests at play, too. In other words, uh, American psychiatry in the 1980s began thinking that, well, what was their product? Their product was psychiatric drugs. They prescribed these drugs. And they really left counseling to others, to psychologists, social workers, that sort of thing. So once the, the guild, uh, the American Psychiatric Association said, listen, our main product is, is psychiatric drugs, they had a guild interest in promoting those mm -hmm. drugs and exaggerating their positive effects and minimizing their negative effects. So, Robert, let's talk about that because, you know, in all honesty, you know, I've been on the couch myself, okay, <laughs> and other people have as well. But uh, the thing is that you, you, you get the feeling, as you had mentioned, that uh, how quickly they've left the, uh, the caring part of being, uh, you know, there's no, as you talk about biopsychosocial, um, they have the bio part, and then you mentioned the psychology and the social, they leave that to other people. And I can't help but think that people who visit psychiatrists feel jilted because of that. They must feel a disconnect. They, they got into it because at one time they were very gifted, even with talk therapy, no longer. Yeah, this, so this big shift all happened really in 1980. What happened in 1980 is the American Psychiatric Association published um, the third edition of its diagnostic manual, and they when they did this, they reconceived, quote, mental disorders. Before that, there were a lot of Freudian um, influences in the diagnostic manual, both the first and second edition. There were some biological disorders for the very severely mentally ill, but so much of other emotional distress, whether it be depression, anxiety, that sort of thing, had to do with uh, adjustments to life. And therefore, the thought was that, you know, go back on the couch, but that talk therapy could be very helpful. But then in 1980, what the American Psychiatric Association did is they reconceived of psychiatric problems as illnesses, as diseases of the brain. Mm. And once they reconceived them, they said, well, we're, we're like uh, infectious disease doctors treating diseases. Drugs are, are uh, you know, treatments of choice. And they really began considering themselves psychopharmacologists. In other words, they were the experts in prescribing psychiatric drugs. Mm -hmm. And they made the shift in their self-identity, and they really left talk therapy behind. They left that up to other people. And you're absolutely right. Talk to people who've been to psychiatrists in the 90s and after the you know, turn of the century, and they said they weren't even interested in who I was. They just took symptom checklists and then said, okay, take this drug. And it's been a disaster both for absolutely, but for psychiatrists too. Because you, as you said, um, so many of them got into this field because they were interested in the human mind. They were interested in the incredible spectrum of behaviors and feelings and, and you know, things you see inside the human mind. 
and then all of a sudden they relegated them to, to themselves to just pill pushers, and they, they they ended up in a in a in a corner that is very unsatisfying. I mean, just talking about personally, emotionally, and so many psychiatrists who who got into that who got into the field to, to want to know more about the human mind, got sucked into the psychopharmacology, you know, container. They feel like they've wasted their, 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 their life. They're very Absolutely. Yeah. They, 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 that's not why they got in there to be pill pushers. It's a sad thing. And anyway, but I will tell you so many patients they feel who've been through this, they feel absolutely betrayed because the psychiatrists just weren't interested in them. Well, we want to talk about more. Robert Whitaker, our special guest, he's the author of the book Psychiatry Under the Influence, Institutional Corruption, Social Injury, and Prescriptions for Reform. We're going to talk about if it's better just to get rid of all your pills. I don't know. We're going to talk about that right after this. God has designed you for a unique purpose. Get equipped for God's call with a degree from Clark Summit University. Choose from undergraduate and master's degrees available completely online in programs like business, counseling, Bible, and education. For some programs, it's possible to earn your degree in as little as two years, or you can complete the degree you previously started. See if you qualify for a tuition discount. Answer God's call on your life and become a Christ-centered, career-ready graduate. Go to clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. That's clarksummitu.edu slash podcast. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. We're back with Robert Whitaker, psychiatry under the influence. Yes, he's blowing the whistle and uh, gotten a lot of uh, flack, but also a lot of awards for his excellent journalism. Uh, Institutional corruption, social injury, and prescriptions for reform. You see all these, um, how can I say this? You know, I know you're not a doctor, you know, in that old joke that you play one on TV. No, but you're a journalist. And, but the thing is, you see something uh, that's wrong. With uh, with and and you felt the need, along with your excellent journalism, to to blow the whistle here and to let people know that yeah, the, you're putting all your faith in people who might not have your best interest. Yeah, I honestly, um, when I got into this writing about uh, reporting on psychiatry, it goes all the way back to 1998. That's when I first really began reporting in depth on American psychiatry and all. And at that time, I had a completely conventional understanding. I thought we were making great uh, progress in identifying the, uh, you know, the, the physical causes of, of mental disorders. I thought we were discovering that they were due to chemical imbalances in the brain. I thought we had these new drugs that fixed those chemical imbalances. And then what happened is, as I began to report in depth on this whole story, I found out it just wasn't true. I found out that the chemical imbalance story wasn't true. That, that it, there had been a hypothesis that depression, say, was due to low serotonin, but that when they had investigated it, they hadn't found it to be so. Then I began to find out that um, so, so much of the actual data regarding the safety and efficacy of these drugs, which had been sent to the FDA and all, it wasn't being published that way in the medical journals. So long story short, as I began to see that under the influence that psychiatry, academic psychiatry, under these twin influences of pharmaceutical money and their own guild interests, they, they had become 
unreliable narrators of their own science, unreliable reporters of their own science. And really what you see in the 80s and 90s is that American psychiatry uh, told us a false story. And we organized ourselves as a society around that false story. And it's a story of chemical imbalances and drugs that fix those imbalances. Uh, and we organize our, our, um, our care, our thinking around that story. And it's a false one. It just represents such a betrayal of the American public. It's changed how we think about our kids. It's changed how we think about the human mind, the human experience. And because we organized ourselves around a false story, the problems of, you know, quote, mental illness has just grown, oh, you know, grown exponentially in the last 20 years. So that's my reason for this interest, is that you can see that the story that was told to us and sold to us as a story of science is a false story. Uh, it's belied by their own scientific findings, and we can go into that, but that's the crux of the matter, is that the, these guild and, and financial influences for, for pharmaceutical companies led to the telling of a false story. This is almost like the Me Too movement before the Me Too movement, you know, for psychiatry is what you're doing. It, it just kind of almost like uh, when it comes to the um, tobacco industry and all oh, the things that they were doing to keep people hooked. And that's what I'm getting out of this is that they are keeping people hooked on this stuff and it's not helping in the long term. You say there's no yeah. evidence in the long term that this stuff helps, these antipsychotic drugs. None of the drugs, none of the, you know, by the way, the, the tobacco industry is a great sort of analogy because, of course, it took a long time before there was a formal recognition that smoking could cause lung cancer. No kidding. Uh, yeah, it took decades. Uh, listen, yeah, what the research has shown now about antipsychotics, about antidepressants, about anti-anxiety drugs, and really about stimulants is that these drugs, while they may be helpful over the short term, on the whole, they do not improve long-term outcomes for people so diagnosed. And in fact, what you see over and over again, that whereas you know, some individuals may do fine on the drugs, but on the whole, these drugs increase the chronicity of these disorders. By that, I mean, let's say you take an antidepressant and you do so for long periods of time, you're going to be more likely to be depressed two, three, four, five years later than if you didn't take the antidepressant on the whole. And you also see that the drugs on, on over the long term, they increase the likelihood of, of basically functional impairment. Just think about this. That's what's in the research. And you see that research over and over again. And you begin to see it, those findings dating back to the 1970s, actually. But now we have a lot more information. And we have 20% of our population taking a psychiatric drug on a daily basis. We have, by the time our kids are 18, there's about 20% taking, or even higher, taking a psychiatric drug. Now, don't you think the public should know about these long-term outcome studies? These long-term yes. data? But they don't. And the reason they don't is because if they knew it, that the market for these psychiatric drugs would, would shrink. Well, that's what's so terrible. I mean, you, you know, it, it, how, how can I say this? The psychiatrist is sitting across and they look basically perturbed almost that you're there. I mean, they seemed almost kind of like, let me just get the, uh, the push the pill and uh, here's the prescription and I'll be done with you. And that's how people feel. And now, first of all, 
people's brains aren't even the same anymore in taking these drugs over and over and over again. You know, if you break an arm or something, you know, there's healing that takes place. And I'll bet there's natural healing in the body. Um, not to, you know, go down that road, but I mean, is this the best that we have to offer uh, people or in your research, is there a better way? Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, there's so much tragedy incorporated into all this. By the way, just going back to why there's so many psychiatrists end up seeing distant and all. I think deep down they realize that they, they, they've, you know, all of a sudden they've reached a place where they know their drugs really weren't, aren't working that well. And they wow. feel, they, they feel um, you know, so disillusioned with their own sort of profession and, and where they ended up. Mm. But they're sort of stuck there is the point. Anyway, going um, back to what happens when you go on these drugs. One of the problems is your brain, and, and think about what we know about illegal drugs. We know your brain adapts to that presence, right, of that illegal drug. You go on heroin, your, your, your brain makes some changes, whatever it might be. Well, it's the same with, with legally prescribed drugs, antidepressants, antipsychotics, et cetera. Those drugs perturb uh, you know, neurotransmitter function, and in response, your brain then changes trying to maintain what they call a, a normal functioning and this is why once your brain undergoes this change to sort of compensate for the presence of the drug that's why it's so hard to get off these drugs because in fact your brain has become used to the drugs so you get all these withdrawal effects and all these sort of um difficult long-term um you know outcomes and yet you know, you never hear this from the profession itself, like, oh, man, maybe we should be rethinking this. Maybe we should be very cautious about putting people on these drugs, given all these poor long-term problems and outcomes and also the, the, the withdrawal effects. And the irony here and the tragedy is here. At the same time, you see in history that human beings have a lot of resilience, so, so often they can go into a time of depression, they can go into a time of anxiety, and with time they can get out of that. And so often, in fact, they change and they end up more resilient than they were when they first sort of had the bout of depression, had the bout of anxiety. And with our children, you know, we, we, we diagnose so many of our children with ADHD now. We say, oh, they have this brain disorder called ADHD. Well, it's diagnosed by as by people, basically kids who don't like school so much. <laughs> Seriously. Right, and, I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, so about half of us are, I think. And then but you put them on these medications that sort of quiet them and that sort of thing. And they don't learn to sort of get control of their own behavior over time. They don't get to experience their own resilience. With this um, prom <clears throat> promotion of this brain disease model. We've, we've forgotten how resilient human beings can be. We've forgotten also that being alive is a difficult business. You can right. have depression. You can have anxiety. You can not like, like school. And you can even have a psychotic episode if certain things happen. But we have forgotten that human beings have these difficult times, go through difficult periods, and so often they come out of that. And then they come out of it so often actually with a stronger sort of being. But we've lost that sense of the human being. Oh, absolutely. We want to talk about that. And we also want to talk about when we come back with Robert Whitaker, our special guest, Psychiatry Under the Influence, Institutional Corruption, Social Injury, and Prescriptions for Reform of Whether This Affects uh, or This Affects the Rest of a Psychology, a Therapist, as far as how they have a certain sensitivity or lack of it 
right after this. Charlotte Christian College and Theological Seminary believes that every Christian has a distinct calling and that he or she must boldly respond to that call. Charlotte Christian specializes in equipping the adult learner and all degrees are available both online and on campus. Degree fields include urban Christian ministry, biblical studies, pastoral studies, and more. So whether you are called to full-time ministry or as a co-vocational minister, Charlotte Christian can help you. Visit us at charlottechristian.edu or call 704-334-6882. Christians in Action Missions International is actively accepting applications from those desiring to win the lost at any cost. We've been sending long-term missionaries throughout the world for 62 years. We emphasize intentional personal evangelism, equipping disciples, and planting churches among the nations. We empower national leadership to demonstrate and declare the love of God to the unreached. Journey with us as we take the gospel to the world. Log on at cinami.org. That's cinami.org. Or call 559-370-4103. Robert Whitaker is our special guest. He was a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. I believe it was 1999. We'll find out more about that. Psychiatry Under the Influence. He has many books on the subject, but this is the one we're focusing on tonight, Institutional Corruption, Social Injury, and Prescriptions for Reform. Does your psychiatrist always have the answer? Have you been putting too much faith in your psychiatrist? Do you feel a disconnect and that he's not or she is not really thinking in your best interest? We'll find out why. It's because money talks and, uh, and therapy walks, it seems. I don't know. I just made that up. But uh, Robert, has this affected the rest of the field with uh, social workers? And uh, is there uh, less caring people out there now that uh, they've been kind of dumped off and just uh, pushed by pills by the psychiatrist? You know what, what has happened here? I mean, people who go into this field, let's go back, circle, circle back to what you said earlier on. I think that people generally who go into this field have very uh, good motivations. They do want to help each help others. Often those who go into it, like social workers, psychologists, counselors, they've struggled themselves, so they have good motivations. But what happens now is everyone who's working in the mental health field basically has to work within this box that was created by the American Psychiatric Association, which conceives of these disorders as diseases. And so they have to use these diagnostic categories in order to get insurance reimbursement, that's the first thing. But then the second thing is we have what, you know, what's called evidence-based care, right? And the people who are setting the boundaries for that evidence-based care, by and large, are the academic psychiatrists. And so what happens is they, they uh, publish clinical care guidelines that say, oh, antidepressants should be the first-line therapy for mild depression, or stimulants should be a first-line uh, therapy for ADHD. What happens is, so they'll say that should be the first-line therapy, and yeah, you can have these other uh, psychological therapies as adjunctive therapies, but the problem is everybody, our entire society operates within this box that privileges drugs as the first response. Right. That, that privileges the idea that these are brain diseases. And it, it's, it's, the tragedy is if you dig into the scientific literature, you, just, you find, in fact, that um, basically none of these diagnoses have actually been validated as uh, you know, under known pathologies. And you can also see so often that uh, non-drug therapies have better long-term outcomes. 
And one of the great things is if you really start digging into it, you'll see that sometimes very simple things really help people. Like um, I know somebody like who sunshine. Went, <laughs> oh, sunshine. Right, walking out, out in the woods. Quiet, having a pet, volunteering, uh, you know, doing things that get you out in the world, um, socializing, provide you with meaning. You know, all those things, and none of this should be a surprise, right? We're talking about the very things that we all need to, to, to be well. Meaning in life, someone to love, um, and obviously good food helps. Being out in nature helps. But not, all that gets relegated to even, second. You could say that. sex. You could even say that. What's that? I'm sorry, Mike. You could say the word S-E-X, sex. Yeah, sex, sex is a good <laughs> Not a dirty word, you know, at least yeah, in marriage, right? in a loving relationship. It can't be, you know, that's... <laughs> you know, that can help a lot. I heard some sort of, I don't know, some pastor who, you know, he deals with a lot of uh, problems. People come to him and he says, go home with your wife and have as much as, you know, as you can. And, they, and how are things now? And, and they said, better. Yeah, I think I, you know, that's not exactly surprising, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the thing, the thing I'm, <laughs> what I'm, what I'm getting from you here is, you know, the fact is people start, okay, the psychiatrists or even people, mental health, uh, you know, therapists wanting to deal with insight, all right, but they trade in the insight for a quick fix. Let's be honest. We can't even get decent movies today because people want a quick fix. They want a quick explosion or they want some, you know, uh, you look, they, a commercial goes to five cuts quickly in like less than two seconds. Um, yeah. And so, you know, what used to be important with talk therapy with, a, you know, a therapist is no longer. Now it's all behavioral stuff and uh, you can't. So I'm hearing that insight is, is dying and it's something you mentioned. It's what we desperately need to get well. Yeah. I mean, this whole quick fix thing, this is one of the things, again, going back to the 1980s when psychiatry sold a story about chemical imbalances. The story was there was a quick fix, right? Take your drug and you'll get your brain back into the right balance and you'll be okay. It's just nonsense, of course, scientifically. And it certainly didn't, uh, it didn't pan out in terms of long-term outcomes. But yeah, I think that uh, it's such an impoverished view of, of what it means to be alive, that somehow you can take a pill and everything will be set right. Of course, it doesn't happen that way. And, and you know, the other thing is things take time, right? I mean, if, if, if you're in a difficult spot, and maybe you're depressed, maybe you're anxious, the process of changing often takes a lot of times. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a process. And what, what we have been uh, you know, encouraged to think through the marketing of psychiatric drugs is that there's this, as you said, you can go into your doctor and uh, he'll, sell, he'll, he'll prescribe you a pill that supposedly is going to fix the fact that you're grieving over like a loss of a loved one or maybe you're struggling with divorce or, you know, life's difficult. But the, the message is take this pill and all your difficulties will go away. And so no longer do people investigate their own feelings and emotions because they're trading it all in for a pill, that magic bullet you say. And, um, you know, we just want to let you know, too, our audience, that uh, Robert Whitaker, he's the founder and the publisher of Mad in America. It's a webzine. Am I saying that right? Yeah, webzine. That's right. Webzine. Okay. Critical of the modern psychiatric establishment. And also, let's talk about in, uh, what was it, 1999, you were up for a Pulitzer Surprise for public service. 
Yeah, what happened was that was how I got into this whole thing. I, I co-wrote a series for the Boston Globe about abuses of patients in psychiatric research settings. And as you said, it was a finalist uh, for the Pulitzer Prize in Public Service. But it was while I was doing that research that I really came upon studies that um, launched this whole, you know, the next 20 years of my life, focusing on this more or less. And what, ha- what happened was this. There were two studies that just really stunned me. Remember, this is 1998, and we've gotten these new antipsychotics, Cyprexa, Risperdal. They're said to be so much better than the old drugs, and they fix all these chemical imbalances in the brain. And then I came upon two studies that belied that notion of progress. The first was a study by Harvard medical researchers who in 1994 had said, listen, outcomes for schizophrenia patients are actually declining now. They're getting worse than they were say, 20 years ago. And most remarkably of all, they were now no better than they had been in the first third of the 20th century. In other words, from 100 to 1933. Completely belied that story of progress. Then even more notably, the World Health Organization had twice done longer-term schizophrenia studies, which compared outcomes in three, quote, developing countries, India, Nigeria, and Colombia, with longer-term outcomes in the U.S. and, quote, six other developed countries. And each time they found that outcomes were much better in India and Nigeria than they were in the U.S. and other developed countries. Wow. The, the difference was so stark, and listen to this. The World Health Organization investigators concluding that if you're diagnosed with schizophrenia, living in a developed country like the United States is a strong predictor that you won't have a good outcome. And, and that just floored me because, you know, of course, we're so uh, proud of our Western medicine. That's right. And yet here they said is in this instance, that's going to be a predictor you're going to have a poor outcome. And in fact, where they found the best outcomes were in rural India, even though the people were being diagnosed by uh, Western doctors, where um, uh, very few people were kept on antipsychotics long term. There the, the, the protocol was to use them temporarily, these drugs, but not long-term. So that belied everything I knew to be true, because I thought if you had a diagnosis of schizophrenia, you had to be on these drugs for life. And yet here we were with this study by the World Health Organization that found exactly the opposite. And that was what really launched me, was that research that just belied what I knew to be true. And nobody should feel that way. Nobody should feel so codependent that, it, I mean, people are terrified, you know, did you take your meds? Did you take your meds? And they're terrified. If they're in, and you, like you said, the terrible side effects of, of not taking your medication. But uh, without the kind of research to support all this, especially not getting better with the more you take it and as time goes by, I think a lot of people feel robbed of life. They say, I'm not the same. I haven't been the same for years. I feel tired. I feel numb. I'm angry and I'm even going to throw my meds away. You hear that do, sometimes people do better when they just throw the meds away. We're not advocating that, but I mean, well, we're not advocating, but listen, here's the thing. First of all, people do often feel like, uh, you know, they're a bit, they, they, they talk about feeling like a zombie. They can't really mount emotional responses. Mm-hmm. They feel affection for another human being. And sometimes they feel their cognition is slowed as well. In other words, all the things that sort of help us feel like authentic human beings fully participating in this glorious thing we call life, uh, they're losing it. And yet we don't listen to them as, well, that's terrible. But let me give you an example of one study that came out in 2008 that I think will blow your listeners' minds. I mean, I think it, who, given the common story, 
The best long-term study we have for schizophrenia outcomes uh, comes study of long-term schizophrenia outcomes comes from a psychologist named Martin Harrell at the University of Illinois. And he, along with a psychiatrist named Thomas Joe, began following 200 psychotic patients diagnosed in the late 1970s and early 1980s and just began following them long-term and seeing how they were doing. And in 2008, they announced their 15-year results. And what they found was this. For people diagnosed with schizophrenia, the recovery rate long-term was eight times higher for those who had stopped taking their medication. Wow. And for I those I believe eight, eight times higher. And what they concluded was, we conclude that schizophrenia patients not on antipsychotics long-term have significantly better global outcomes. Now, have you heard about that before? I'm sorry. It sounds like someone just escaped uh, right there. I hear the siren in the background. <laughs> <laughs> but have you heard this study outcome before? Yes, I have. I actually oh, have yeah. heard that, and I was amazed. I have heard, and it, and it did blow my mind because uh, it's verifiable right there. And, uh, you know, because, I mean, look at anything else in, in the human body or even emotions. As you said, life is tough, and we get scarred. But there's healing, you know? I mean, there's healing, and it's great to feel and to hurt and to heal, you know, I mean, so it's all part of it. But when you can't feel anything uh, and you don't investigate no longer, I mean, it's not important to the psychiatrist to be able to, uh, you know, find insight and to, to follow those emotions. And they're trained to do it. They, they would be great at it, probably a lot of them. Uh, and soon, you know, all of a sudden, it no longer matters uh, being a human. Yeah, you know, the psychiatrists I know who've sort of moved away from the drug um, the, the drug prescribing uh, paradigm and now are getting back to like really working with people, even psychotic people, all of a sudden they're saying it's so much more fun. It's so much more rewarding to actually interact with human beings who have, can bring their emotions to the, you know, to the interaction, to the therapeutic relationship. And isn't that where the healing comes in? I mean, truthfully, that's what they're looking for. And instead they get a pill. Everybody, I, you know, for one of my books, a book called anatomy of an epidemic, I interviewed maybe 70, 80 people who, have been diagnosed either with schizophrenia or psychotic disorder, major depression or bipolar. And we're not, and many of those people were now doing well. And the ones who were doing well off meds, I mean, basically they got their lives back. They all said the same thing was human relationships and sometimes with their psychiatrists. But in other words, someone began to believe in them. Someone could help them sort of gain insight into themselves Someone helped push them into uh, get into new social situations. Maybe they helped push them into, like I know one guy really encourages volunteer work. But they all talked about how human relations was key to their um, recovery. We're going to have remaining last words with Robert Whitaker. He's an American journalist and author who has won numerous awards as a journalist covering medicine and science including the George Polk Award for Medical Writing and a National Association of Science Writers Award for the Best Magazine Article. And uh, he's, uh, you know, I, I was going to say, I want to hear about the rebuttals after this because uh, there's nothing like a psychiatrist scorned. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, they seem so calm. How do you feel about that? Well, we'll, you know, find out how they feel about uh, some of the, uh, the findings that Robert Whitaker and his book, a special book called Psychiatry Under the Influence, Institutional Corruption, Social Injury, and Prescriptions for Reform. You got to get it. We'll be right back right after this.
Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions, the ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. Okay, final words with Robert Whitaker's Psychiatry Under the Influence, Institutional Corruption, Social Injury, and Prescriptions for Reform. By the way, I co-wrote this book with Lisa Cosgrove. We were both uh, fellows at a lab set up at the Safra Center for Ethics at Harvard University to study institutional corruption. So there were some people studying like how Congress gets corrupted by money. Others were looking at other examples where you have an institution that's supposed to serve the public but because of financial influences and, and, and such, it basically betrays that public obligation. And yeah, that's, that's, that's what you see here, is that you see a profession, academic psychiatry or psychiatry, that's supposed to serve us, supposed to serve the interests of patients, and under the influence of pharmaceutical money and their own guilt interests, they really begin serving their own interests or those interests put them above patient. And where um, do people go with that information? It's almost like finding out your wife cheated on you. I mean, what do you do with all that? You know, I mean, what do you, what well, do you people do? People feel betrayed. They really do. And that's one of the things we do with our webzine, Mad in America, is we, we make this information known. Um, you asked the response to this by psychiatrists. You know, they can't be all, happy. <laughs> you, know, some of, you know, some, there's some, some people, especially those within the power structure that are very angry and, you know, they want to kill the messenger. But others, you know, for them it rings true because they live this. They saw that their field was corrupted by money. They saw that their field was corrupted by guild interests, and it makes them extraordinarily sad. Um, but some of those people who've responded in that way have made changes, and, and, and now they're changing how they, what they do, changing how they care for their patients, and they're finding it liberating. Yeah, I went to some, uh, you know, psychiatrist, okay, and because I, I, I don't take ADHD medication anymore. I don't want to take that stuff. But um, there was this beautiful, um, it was like, almost looked like an award that said Vivance, you know, and <laughs> it, it was beautiful. I mean, it was like a plexi, I don't know what it was, but it looked like a, and he, he proudly displayed it. And I'm thinking, that looks more than just an advertisement there. That looks like a badge of honor that you're, you're, you have that, uh, you're representing someone to sell this. And I'm sure they probably don't like being called out on that, that they are, um, you know, get kickbacks, if you will. I mean, you probably see it all the way through from regular doctors to psychiatrists and so forth. Yeah. I'm just wondering what, you know, the rebuttals that you get, um, I don't know, it just seems like it, it leaves people in a, in a sad state. Is there any way, because you're, you're shining the light on all this, do you see any changes? We talked about like the Me Too movement where, you know, things are changing as far as the power dynamics. Are we going to see that change here? Yeah, there's actually a lot changing. First of all, the, the story that was sold to us about chemical imbalance is now acknowledged to be false, that it didn't pan out. That's within their own research literature, their own pronouncements. So that part has fallen apart. There's more and more acknowledgement that the outcomes with drugs are, are poor so the, the, the false narrative that was sold to us about chemical imbalances and drugs that fix them, that's falling apart. So that change is happening. 
you hear a lot more discussion about how life experiences, traumatic experiences shape us. Uh, you are hearing a lot more in the, maybe not so much within the, the, the halls of mainstream psychiatry, but in what you were talking about, the social workers, the counselors, the psychologists, about the need to reconceive of everything, what, what is the problem. And as this is happening, people are talking about, oh, we need re human relations, we need jobs, we need meaning in our life. So that, that discussion is really changing, and you do see uh, basically therapeutic programs uh, starting up that um, both in the U.S. and abroad that, that, that basically conceive of things this way and now try to deliver services that help people establish those human connections. I just came back from Norway from a hospital in um, just north of Oslo. They, they build themselves as the first medication-free psychiatric hospital. Really? And it's fantastic. I mean, you go there, and they're, they're dealing with people who've been hospitalized. Well, one, one woman I, I met who's 37 years old, she'd been hospitalized over 200 times. She was on 30 drugs when she arrived at this hospital in 2015. Here we are in 2000, and she had been basically hospitalized continuously since she was 13 years old. So for roughly 17 years, 30 drugs when she came to this place. Here we are three years later, four years later, she's off virtually all her drugs. She has been hospitalized since she came to this place. She's now working for this place. Once she came to this place and got discharged, she hasn't been in the hospital since. She's now working for them. And wow, running that's city. amazing. And you see a lot of stories like this. Now, what did they do? And this is the greatest way to end this whole thing. So when she came to them, she'd been hospitalized 220 times. She was just coming from a place where she had been held in isolation for more than a year. She comes to this, quote, medication-free hospital. And you know what the first thing they did for her? The, the, the leader of the hospital said, well, I don't think you really want to be in a hospital. What we need to do is set up a relationship. So what we're going to do is we're going to send you to Mallorca, and you're going to spend 10 days with a psychiatric nurse, and, and we're going to start you off on a different path. So that's what he did, and that led her down to a very different path. I met her. She's a delightful person now. Isn't it amazing? I mean, the, and the same thing comes down to food, too. You know, the best things are right there. Apples, oranges, uh, you know, fruits, vegetables. And, and <laughs> you know, we go for the, the things that are made in a laboratory. I mean, just the food that we eat, you know, yeah, and people yeah, don't know what's in it. Hopefully this is all part of a rediscovery that, you know, good food is important. <laughs> Stay away from the processed crap and, you know, uh, and try to find meaning in your life. I mean, yes. I, that's so key. That's what I'm hearing. You know, insight into yourself. Uh, life is, is tough. Don't forget it. Don't try to numb it with just a pill. Uh, God gives, uh, you know, sunlight, <laughs> sunshine, friends, yeah. and all kinds of things that are being overlooked in psychiatry and even in uh, the mental health field. One last question, and then we'll wrap up. I wanted to ask you, what else is there to research and discover in this field? You're, you're known as the expert here. And you've written a lot of books. And again, Robert Whitaker, Psychiatry Under the Influence, the name of the book. What else is there to discover in this field? Well, there's so much. And actually, I think if you come to madinamerica.com, that's our webzine, you'll be astonished by, first of all, we have a daily science report uh, about, uh, you know, the type of scientific findings you don't hear because they don't fit into that conventional wisdom. But those science reports will be about, you know, alternative ways of healing, 
alternative ways of diagnosis. And these are reports that are coming from peer-reviewed journals. We have, uh, you'll, you'll read about alternatives like this medication-free program in, in Norway. I also wrote about a medication-free uh, program in, in Israel that's taking hold. You'll read writers from all over the world, basically, uh, people with lived experience, but also psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers, family members that are writing about uh, reconceiving of things and developing new ways. So I think one of the reasons that Mad in America has become pretty popular, and we now have affiliates, I think, in eight countries, is because that's the discussion happening there. How can we re can reconceive of things? What sort of alternative therapies? What is science telling us about what we really know about the human mind? And so it's a, it's a nice, vigorous discussion that every day, um, you know, we have new people writing. Absolutely. And we appreciate you being on the program. Robert Whitaker, our special guest, the psychiatry under the influence. I like the picture on the cover with a $100 bill inside the prescription <laughs> bottle. So I'm not saying, you know, totally throw it away, but I mean, save your, you can save a little money too. By not, some of these drugs are expensive. Uh, and you've given us, yeah, go ahead. No, if we put this money into, into sort of humanistic things, we'd, we'd be so much better off. You've been a great guest, and I appreciate all the work, and uh, continue on. We uh, Thanks for being on the program tonight. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure. Our sponsors with over 90 years' experience in developing audio electronics, Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users, while products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators.